Welcome to ECE Honestly. Hi, and welcome to ECE Honestly. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Quaquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So on today's episode, I have a very special guest speaker whose name is Sophie. And Sophie works in a young parent program in Ontario. Is that correct, Sophie? Yeah, I'm coming to you from uh, Ottawa, Ontario, or um, Algonquin, unceded Algonquin Anishinaabe territory. So I'm coming in from the capital of Canada. Love it. Well, welcome. Um, and I'm very, very excited to have you today. We basically met through Instagram. <laughs> so this is kind of our nice face first, face to face conversation. And uh, I love speaking to you whenever you send uh, like send some messages, just because I like the perspective that you give, um, especially when it's coming from working in the young parent program. Um, and I think also what's kind of nice is being able to speak about education, more specifically early childhood education, in terms of the difference in provinces and how even like regulations and things work. So I think that's always super interesting. Yeah, that's always really fun to talk about. And coming in from a different perspective of teen center versus like a typical center can be really interesting. And I, I always find it interesting to see what you guys in BC are doing. So because it seems really different from Ontario. It definitely is. Yes. Um, and I think government and who is in uh, which party is has majority of seats makes a very big difference, which um, we all know, uh, if you're not aware, here in BC, we have an NDP majority government, and in Ontario, it's a conservative majority government. So, like, two different ends of the spectrum. Totally different end of the spectrum. You guys have signed your universal child care deal, and uh, we're the final province. We're waiting. So, <laughs> hopefully, Doug Ford gets on board in the new year. Hopefully, there's That's a nice cool. push to get that going. Hopefully. I think with uh, Ontario has an election coming up in June 2022. So I think that we're going to see a good shift in talking a little bit more about early years in Ontario. Perfect. Well, good luck to to all of our listeners and followers in Ontario. Um, so uh, before we start, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to work in education? Yeah, for sure. So um I am an early childhood educator and here in Ontario, we have a system of registering early childhood educators. So I'm a registered early childhood educator. And that means I'm a part of the college and they're basically like an oversight over ECEs in Ontario. So they keep an eye on us and make sure that we're keeping our standards and our practices up to date and everything like that. Um, and then I have been in the field for almost 10 years. It's my eighth anniversary at my center coming up really soon. And I got into education just because um, my family owned a small business when I was a teenager. So I wasn't like a person who worked at the mall or anything like that. I kind of did babysitting on the side of working at my family's bookstore. So it really was just kind of the route that I went to. I love children. And I also lived with my sister in Japan for a small period. Awesome. And while I was there, 
Oh, sorry. I said, sorry, that sounds so cool. It was really, really interesting. We lived in um, the Southern prefecture in Kumamoto in a really small town, Sunshine Jonan. And she was a teacher at a local school and I would volunteer once or twice a week with the classes talking about living in Canada. And one of my favorite experiences was working in the special needs classroom. Mm. And the educator that ran that program was, I had never really met a teacher who was altering the program and the environment for children in this way. Like there was a child who had anxiety who sat in a box in the corner. That was her favorite spot. The, um, they wanted a garden, so they put a garden on the balcony. Um, some children felt comfortable in costumes when they came in, so there were capes by the door. Oh. Like little things like that are so special. So I spent a lot of time in that classroom. And while I was in Japan, I actually um, I applied for early childhood education at Algonquin College and got in right when I got home. Mm. So while I was there, it kind of really pushed me into the direction of like, this is something really interesting to you. So follow it and pursue. So that's kind of how I got there. And after I graduated from Algonquin College, I got right into my job at Uville Center. And I've been there ever since, like I said, almost eight years. I love that. That's amazing. And so I love that it's like a worldly experience because I think so many times we don't, not many of us get that opportunity to look at education in different countries, let alone a different province, right? So being able to kind of take those experiences is unlike you said, seeing that educator at that time doing the simplest of things to ensure that every child was comfortable when they walked in the door. Like, I love that idea of keeping capes by the door, you know, like, a, like that superhero persona that, you know, that safety that I'm strong. I think that's so like something so small yet so significant. Um, so that's amazing. And that's wonderful that you were able to have those experiences and take them with you, you know, into your Oh practice. yeah. I, I, I still reflect a lot on my practices while I was there because some of the work, like I was there all, almost 10 years ago. And I think about some of the work that that educator was doing and it's so advanced and like we had a deaf student that I would wear a microphone around my neck and he would lean in really close to me and I would speak loudly and he would watch how my mouth moved and we would videotape how my mouth moved and take pictures so that he could practice speaking English while like using the mouth mapping. Wow. Because we couldn't hear pro like fully. Right. So he would use this microphone recording and this video. It was like this incredible, she was doing this whole system that was like, wow. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. I would love to, like, I would love to see that now and how much more advanced that room is. I, I can't imagine like my, my sister is still in contact with that educator. And she said that she is always doing professional development. She's always working to push her program further and like to get these kids doing more and more. It's, it's amazing. So that's something that I always think about is like, that's what we do as educators is we adapt our programs and we make these amazing, beautiful places mm -hmm. for all children. Absolutely. And whenever I'm kind of stumped on how to do something in my program, I think back, like you can do anything. So yes. Just get creative. I love that. Such great inspiration. Um, so let's talk a little bit then about the center that you're currently working in um, because your center is you as, has a more uniqueness than let's say a typical uh, center. So do you want to tell us a little bit about? Yeah, so I work at Uville Center, which is 
a teen parent center in Ottawa, and we specialize in helping young moms, parenting or pregnant, obtain their high school education while um, accessing social care and uh, quality childcare. So we have a licensed childcare program that has enough spaces for 55 children. We have four infant programs. So we have 40 infants and um, one toddler program. That's and 50, so 15 toddlers, 40 infants. Lots of babies. <laughs> Lots of babies. It's really busy. And then we have a high school that's actually on site. So our third floor is a high school. Our second floor is our social work and mental health department. And then our first floor is childcare. So we're really lucky to be all in one building and be able to work together as a big collaborative team to help our moms and, uh, and our young parents. That's awesome. Very um, community oriented, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, we're really, really big on community. It's um, it's very big family oriented. Like my families, I know them very well. Some of them I've known their children since they were pregnant with them or since they were six weeks old or younger. Mm -hmm. So it's, you get to know these kids. Like I've had little babies that I've worked with from six weeks old to three years old. Mm -hmm. And getting to see them and their parent grow is, it's so amazing. So it, it's a really cool program to be a part of. I love that. Um, so kind of going, diving a little bit deeper into your program, can you let us know maybe what the philosophy is in your program? Um, are there any particular goals that you have in working with children? Yeah, so our philosophy going into the program is that every child is unique and that we're here to foster that individual child. So we really like to help however we can. So there's a lot of altering the program for individual children, adding things in for children, working very closely with their parent. And we're always trying to come in from a really non-judgmental stance because we have parents who are all different ages. So we could have a parent who's 14 years old. We could have a parent who's 18 years old, who's 21 years old. Just depends on when they've come to our center and when they've had their child. Right. So it can be really hard to be a 14 year old parent interacting with an adult who's an educator, who's coming in from a different stance. So we as educators are always striving to treat our parents as respected adults and respect their decisions and really have them be a part of our program. So having them on site, they're actually pre-COVID, they're actually always in our programs. So my classroom um, is a nursing safe space. So if a parent is choosing to continue to nurse their baby, I just call their classroom upstairs and say, hey, can you come down and nurse? And they just come down to the classroom and nurse their baby. That's so it, it's really special and it maintains that bond. Like if you have a six week old baby and like you have to completely separate from them, it would be so hard to maintain that. And especially if you're young. Definitely. So, it's really special and unique that we're able to have that. And I think it's also unique for educators because not every educator is used to having a parent in their room kind of all the time. Yes. Like I can sometimes have four or five parents in my room nursing their babies or just visiting their babies. Like yeah. pre-COVID, um, we have lunchtime visits. Oh, so cool. yeah, like parents can come pick up their babies, take them to the gym and play with them or have a high chair where they can feed them lunch and we have toys set up so that they can have this time with their child during the day. Mm -hmm. But a lot of other centers, like that's not normal to have a child just picked up at noon for 15, 20 minutes and then come back. Yes. 
So it's it's something for educators that we get really used to, or it's something that you have to work to get used to. Definitely. But I think it's special because the way we are when our parents aren't there is exactly the way we are when they are there. Mm-hmm. So there's never any difference. Like we're very transparent. Everything is open. Everything's a discussion. It's very collaborative. I think it's this wonderful sense of community and belonging that our parents get to have. Um, and I've also really always loved that our center offers kind of like parenting just throughout the day, like having a conversation about bottles at a regular center center could be absolutely nothing, yes. but at our center, it could be a moment for advocacy, right? Where this parent could learn how to say, you know what, myself as a parent, I really feel my baby needs to eat every three hours. Right. And push for that. Whereas like, at another center, it might be really hard for them to do that because they don't know the educator in that same degree or know that it's safe mm-hmm. to push like that. Definitely. That's amazing. So it, it's a great teaching moment. I really like how you talk about that self-parent advocacy, especially because, like you said, you're dealing with such young parents, um, which I think in turn, the societal lens can be sometimes like that 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 child, for lack of better words, doesn't know what they're doing um, in terms of them being able to raise a child, which is extremely unfortunate because I think now we're setting, we're just setting people up for failure as opposed to giving them, you know, not only that support, but like you said, that non-judgmental care, for lack of better words, and, you know, letting them know that, you know, when you're in this environment, you know, it's not about do I think you're capable or incapable? It's okay, how are we going? How are we going to all work together so that you know, this is a safe zone for not only your child, but for you to be. And if you do have any questions that you're uncertain of, I'm here to help you. That that's exactly it. That's the environment we want is our parents to feel that way, because it can be way harder to do that in school. Like in kindergarten, when your child is four years old and you've never had to advocate to a teacher and say, this is what I want, this is what I need, that can be really hard. But if you're doing it in a safe space where like, you can ask me anything, yes, it's it's great. Or if you want to have a sit down conversation where we can have a full meeting, or if you want to bring in a parenting coach, or if you want to bring in a counselor, like this is such a great space to practice that for these young people. So I think that's really special for us as educators to get to do that. And we do a lot of training to make sure that we have the communication skills and that we have the trauma knowledge to know how to come into these teaching moments with them. Absolutely. And I think that's so fantastic because it really speaks um, to such a degree of the level of professionalism that you as educators carry with you throughout the day and continue to carry, which is something that um, I spoke about with a colleague, Julie from Inspired ECE was, I think that's something that we were noticing here in BC is that the regulations are kind of lacking at the moment. Um, And we don't, we're not seeing that, you know, high standard or level of professionalism. So to see that there is a place for lack of better words, where not only is that, I would, I would say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Something that you need in order to be able to work there. But if you want to continue working in your center, something that you have to maintain and continue to maintain, I think that is absolutely fantastic. And what an amazing and 
different form of advocacy that you do in your work every single day, because you're not only there to advocate your child for the, you know, the younger children, but you're also there to advocate for teen parents who are another very vulnerable age group who can be subject to so much bias and so much, um, you know, negativity. Yeah. And it can be such a sensitive time because they're teenagers. So there's so much going on for them personally that it can be just, it's so nice that they have this space that's non-judgmental and they can come back to and feel safe in. Mm-hmm. And um, what you were saying about educators and professionalism, I think even here in Ontario, we do see that the regulations are there to kind of push for a lack of professionalism, but then there's advocates here in Ontario that are pushing incredibly hard to maintain this. Like we have our college of ECEs that help us maintain We have like um, our continuous professional development learning that we have to do to maintain our licenses. We have to reapply annually, things like that. Oh, yours is annually? Yeah, we do it annually. Oh, okay. That's, see, ours is only every four years. (laughs) Yeah, we do um, a continuous professional learning cycle every two years, and then we have to reapply every year to be registered and on the registry. Wow. Okay. That's something to note. I think we need to start doing that. (laughs) Yeah, and we have a public registry too. So any parent, center, person, or anybody really who wants to look up and see if I'm a registered early childhood educator, they can look it up and see that there's nothing on my file or anything like that. We have a list in Ontario of people who have said that they're ECEs, but they're not. Mm. Uh, Because here in Ontario, actually, ECE is a protected title, like doctor. So it's we have. Yeah, we have the two, the 2007 ECE Act, I think it was, where they made this a protected title and developed the College of ECEs. So there is this really big strive for professionalism here in Ontario, but definitely I would say our regulations don't align with it. Like um, in Ontario, you only have to have one ECE in the room at all times. Oh. But the ratio, like in my program, I have 10 children. The ratio is one to three but you only have to have one early childhood educator. We can have two other staff who have no background in early childhood education, just have their police record check and their first aid. Well, that's such a disservice to the infants in your room, especially in your program who requires exactly. such a higher level of care. So we're really lucky at our center. We actually have a policy in place that we require everybody to be an early childhood educator, a registered early childhood educator, or they have to have an exemption by the um, executive director to be a part of our program. So we're able to really maintain our professionalism, but I often reflect about centers outside of us who only have one educator in the room or who don't have like the same amount of professional development or have the same amount of time or even pay. Like we have some educators here in Ontario who make minimum wage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it can be the difference between centers. I think in Ontario can be so devastatingly different I think there's some Um, there's more disparity I want to say yeah and and our government too has been very um like they lifted legislation that limited funding towards profit centers so we've definitely seen an increase in profit centers in Ontario over the last couple years which there can be some great high quality profit centers but I'm always kind of pro the nonprofit model I think that there's a lot more room for quality for families and children. And we're a nonprofit center. So I see that work every day. Yeah. Yeah. We get to see that every day that the money goes directly back into our families. And 
and you see it making a difference on the ground. So I'm very pro nonprofit. Love it. Um, I'm with you. And I, this is coming as a, you know, a business owner of my own, you know, multi in-home care center. I have seen very, and, and it's interesting because I have seen the difference between profit and nonprofit, but I have also seen better quality for-profit centers than nonprofit centers. So yep. it's, it's very, I think it, at the end of the day, it all depends on who's managing do, are they, you know, do they have a background in early childhood education? Because I think that's the big problem that I see here in BC is that majority, not all, but majority of the, not of the for-profit centers are run by people who have absolutely no background in early childhood education or anything to do with child development. And it's very much, I was going to say, and I mean, even when you walk into these programs, you can see it's very corporate like, and it is a, it's a business and we're here to market this as a business. Yeah. That's very similar to like, we have some programs here in Ontario that are small profit programs that are just running really high quality, incredible programs. And then we have some that are more of like a corporate chain, almost like franchises where like. I'm sure that there are some that are doing great work, but I'm sure that there are some that are just kind of rolling with it. I hear you. Um, And it's very unfortunate. Yeah, Um, it is unfortunate. But I want to come back uh, to talking about your center. And I want kind of jumping off on the, um, on the talk that we were having about professionalism. um, I'm assuming that, Again, and I think you touched on this a little bit, but um, was there a lot of self-reflection that you personally had to do when you began working there, you know, like reevaluating any unconscious bias you may have unintentionally carried? Yeah, it's it's something you have to reflect in on going in every single day because you never know where somebody is coming from and what their night has been like. So there's always like a conscious every single day reflecting on your biases. But before I even started there, um, I had been very active volunteering in my local community with Planned Parenthood Ottawa, Mm. um, Kind Space, which is a queer space here in Ottawa, things like that when I was a teenager. So I actually did have a few friends who were teen parents, and I was kind of aware of the programs in Ottawa going on. So I was actually really interested in specifically going to a program where there was advocacy work and work with youth happening. Mm-hmm. So I had to put my biases aside, but it was also something that like I wanted to go towards. So mm-hmm. I think I went in with a little less bias having had friends who are teen parents and seen them do well and been supportive of them. Absolutely. And through my work with Planned Parenthood, because I knew all about the options care in Ottawa. I knew a little bit about Uville Center before I started working there. Um, And I was lucky to have a few teachers in school who talked about different families. Mm -hmm. I think I only had actually one who talked about how in life you will encounter families that are not all typical families and you need to be ready to just be there for them. Absolutely. And not judge them. Like I, she used an example like that. You might get a bottle of chocolate milk for a baby Mm -hmm. instead of formula for a baby. And you need to be able to have a conversation with a parent that isn't judging them and hurting their feelings about their different beliefs than yours. Yes. It's about coming in for what's the best for that child and that family. Definitely. So I think every day, every day biases are being checked, but 
every day you're also learning something new. Definitely. And I like that example that your educator um, did about the chocolate milk, because I think that's also speaks to, we don't know whether or not they have anything to even afford formula. Can we afford yep. a formula? Um, and I mean, I don't know if you've seen this in um, anywhere in Ontario, but here in BC, um, you can really see who we're protecting. You can see the, um, I want, I, I can't even word this, but I'll, I'll give you the example. Um, let's say you're walking into a store, uh, like a drugstore, and you go into the, into the baby aisle. The formula is under lock and key. Um, which is absolutely ridiculous. And, but then you might go to another section of the store, let's say where the $300 toothbrushes are. Um, and that's out in the open where nobody can touch. And it speaks so much to the, like the, the indifference that we give people, right? Because I mean, who is going to be more at hand to potentially shoplift, uh, uh, you know, a thing, a formula, a parent who's in desperation to feed their child. And it's extremely unfortunate because how, I mean, and, and my biggest thing is, is how awful is our society that we're pushing parents to that, you know, to the brink of that desperation. I mean, I remember once when I worked in a, in a store when I was 17, I, there was a, there was a father who was trying to shoplift diapers and me and my coworker at the time, we were just kind of like, we just kind of turned the other way and we went, you know what? The company can afford it. I think there's like a really big level of stigma towards parents who can't afford everything. I think like as soon as a parent has to ask for help, there is such a level of stigma against them from society, from individuals that we do end up doing things like locking up formula behind lock and key, or like I think of our city where you can only access the food bank once a month. Oh. Yeah, so like if you need to go to the food bank and you need you get your can of formula there and then you run out or let's say your baby starts not being able to handle that type of formula, then it's a huge expense shift for your monthly budget to try and figure out where to get this formula. Definitely. So uh, I think there's a lot of stigma where we don't have things available to parents in the way that they need to. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're really lucky at our center as well that we have an on-site food bank where mm -hmm. our parents are able to access once a week um, the food bank. And we often get more donations of formula or diapers and things. So we're able to give our parents that access. Mm -hmm. um, Another thing that we do for our parents is we provide diapers, wipes, diaper cream. I was going to ask, yes, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, we, we kind of provide anything that a parent could need. Like you could pretty much show up with your baby and just the bottles for the day and we're set. Perfect. We have extra diapers, extra wipes, cream, um, extra clothing. Like we always have anything. If a parent needs a snowsuit or a jacket, we'll figure out finding it. We have a donation shop where we're able to get used things from donations and we're able to wash everything, sort it all, and then have it kind of like a shopping experience for our moms. Perfect. Um, and then we have our on-site food bank. We provide diapers. It's kind of like anything that you could need, we're there to help you with. And I think that really helps with the stigma because they don't have to walk out into the world feeling like they need to ask people. Yes. They can just access it. Like because the store, the used, uh, the swap shop is set up like a store, 
Right. It's like they just walk in, they pick out what they'd like, and then they can leave. And it it's a really respectful, non-judgmental moment. So the Perfect. stigma, like exactly what we were talking about of the stigma of having to take from the store is not there. Yes. It's still this nice moment for everybody Definitely. that we can push away from that. And not only that, but I think being able to provide you know, the basics and a little bit more also allows for those parents to not have those worries and just be there for their child, which I think is fundamental because I think many a times, and I mean, I think this is true for any parent, regardless of age, you know, when we are under stress of what do we need then, or, you know, what, what is lacking, you know, from what, you know, whatever it may be, then it kind of takes away from how much quality time you're able to have with, with your child. So now you being the center that, you know, is being able to say, you know, don't worry about not being able to get a jacket, like we will make it happen, or we will find a way to make this happen just helps ease some of that stress, especially for, you know, a young parent. Yeah, it can change so much. And I think a lot about our childcare also eases that for our parents, because as a parent, there can be a lot of guilt around like, oh, I didn't do painting on the weekend with them, or I didn't go to the park this many times this week. But our parents know that our kids, they were in childcare this week, so they access painting three times this week. They went outside every day this week. So if you're busy having to survive or do schoolwork or just get through life, you don't have to stress about that aspect mm-hmm. of child, of your child's life. It's, it's a lot smoother for you. Definitely. Um, and it, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's so, uh, so lovely. Um, and I want to ask, like, do you, are there any challenges that you face when you're working in, in your program? Um, well, one of our biggest challenges is that we actually, we have a condensed day. So we have a school day. So we typically are running from 8.30 to 2.30. Okay. So in Ontario, we have regulations where the children have to be outside for two hours a day, things like that. We have to squeeze in two snacks and a lunch and a nap from 8.30 to 2.30 in the afternoon. Yes. <laughs> So it can be a really, really condensed, busy day for our kids. Absolutely. Um, And then another challenge that we have is all of our parents are kind of on different levels of support and what they need. So sometimes they come in at a later time. So some of them come in at 10 a.m., some come in at 10.30, some are there at 8.30 a.m., just depends on what their family needs. So your program may have a very slow start or it may have a really quick start. So that can be a challenge for educators, depending on what is going on for our parents. Um, And then sometimes depending on the needs of our parents, our attendance can be a little bit different than a typical center. Like sometimes a parent needs a day or they didn't have bus fare, just depending on what's going on in their life. Sometimes we see a little bit of a difference in attendance. Like some centers they're very used to, they have 15 toddlers enrolled by 8.30 AM, they have 15 toddlers there. Mm -hmm. That might not be a typical day for us, just depends on what's going on in our community and what our individual parents are needing. Right. And I would assume too, just having to meet the individual schedules or needs of every infant or toddler that comes into your program. Yeah, it can be uh, really, really busy. My program specifically, we go on each individual baby's schedule. So we're the youngest. So we're kind of zero to six months old is usually us. 
And that means we could have three six-week-olds, three four-month-olds, and one eight-month-old, and then a couple others. So depending on your developmental needs, this could be a lot of rocking to sleep, a lot of bottles. It could be doing a lot more of that. So it can be a really big challenge to get outside. Yes. Um, Some of my kids, like you're six-week-old, you've never painted before. It's not like I can just throw paint out and have an activity like that it's a bit more of a process to get reintroduced to art and to get to know the world in this small way. Or even, I guess, being able to get those basic skills, like sitting up, holding your head up, you know, lots of tummy time, um, you know. Yeah, like every child, we we know our development really, really well at our center because- I can imagine. (laughs) Oh yeah, like I, I also know for each individual developmental stage how to plan an activity because you want everybody to have access. So if you can't sit up, I've got a cookie tray ready so we can paint on the floor. Yes. Um, if you can stand up, we've got a big old mirror that you're standing at and painting on. Perfect. So it just depends on what your developmental need is. Mm-hmm. And that can be very hard uh, when you have 10 babies and one wants to sleep, one wants to paint and three need bottles. Yes, of course. So, I'm curious to ask, do you do um, a lot of baby wearing in your program? Sometimes we do. Um, We've really reduced during COVID just for the spacing between us and babes. Um, In the past, though, yeah, we've done a lot of baby wearing. And we've also encouraged our parents to baby wear. So we have kind of a big old Rubbermaid container of slings, wraps, whatever type of carrier a parent could really want to try. And then we have a few staff members who are really talented at wrapping and know how to wear really well. And we help parents facilitate that. That's so So that's something we're interested in, we get into it. That's so nice. I love that. Um, that's so lovely. Um, and I want to um, ask as well, if do you find that there is a higher level of care that you need to be ready to offer, um, not just the infants, but your young parents as well? Yeah, I think there is like, I wouldn't say higher level of care. I think it's just different. Right. Because we're coming in with a trauma-informed lens. So we're always kind of coming in with the idea that everyone has a story and everyone has a background. So even babies. Mm-hmm. So if this baby is having a harder time today, like we're not gonna go right into that, like, oh, fussy baby, like blah, blah, blah. We might be a bit more, we might be gentler and think to ourselves, maybe something's going on in their life. We don't know what the bus ride was like this morning, things like that. Like, so we're always trying to be really mindful of what could be going on in their minds and in their little hearts. Yes. Um, And then for our parents, there's another, it's again, it's like a different level of care because sometimes you're explaining something that at another center you may never talk about, but at your center, you're giving a little bit more info about like, oh yeah, it is totally normal to leak milk when you're sleeping. Yes. (laughs) Things like that. those might be questions that another parent at another center might not ask, but at our center, it can be totally normal to be answering just little questions here and there about like, Oh, is it normal that my baby is doing this or is it that things like that? So we're, we're really lucky to have that trusting relationship with our parents where they can ask those questions, but you kind of always have to be ready to be there in a different way. Yes. Yeah. Um, like coming in from a gentler lens. Absolutely. Um, and coming through that, since you're talking about needing to come from a more um, trauma-informed background, does your center by any chance or do you, or 
is there anything in place for the educators to receive any counseling um, or to help advocate for your mental health? Because I can imagine that, you know, depending on certain stories or situations that come your way can be very heartbreaking for you as an educator. Um, and may, you know, that may not be the case for, for everybody, but this, again, this is just my assumption. Um, because I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't have, you know, any real awareness about what it is working in a young parent program. So I'm curious to know if there is any, you know, counseling or mental health advocacy for you as educators. Yeah, there is. Um, so through our benefits, we actually we have access to counseling and to employee wellness benefits, things like that, very basic. Uh, but then as a center, um, even here in Ontario, we actually got a grant this year specifically during COVID to promote mental wellness and capacity. So we're always trying to do as much as we can for community and to bring educators together. So this year we had therapy dogs come in. Um, we've set up a resource library for educators to access mental health books, things like that. So we always are trying here at our center to offer things to our staff to allow them that release and there can definitely be compassion fatigue working in this type of work because you can hear things that are harder or you can be a part of a situation where you're supporting a family that is going through a really hard time and you have to keep going with your job so we do talk a lot about compassion fatigue and we've done training on it in the past and we do a lot of training on trauma-informed care and on how the brain works so that our educators are coming in with the knowledge of like what is going on. Right. So hopefully they can see the signs in themselves if they're having a harder time. That's awesome. So that's good. That's always our goal. I think, I think that's so nice. And I, and I think that's something that can definitely be missed because especially in education, um, I think this is true regardless of the community that you work with, you, give so much and we always forget about ourselves. And I mean, mental health advocacy is something that is important, you know, for all educators, but I wanna say it's especially important for those educators who are working, you know, again, like you said, you know, with that more trauma informed background. And like you said, the way your compassion is that much higher. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a direction you wanna make sure that we're having for educators. I think with universal childcare coming, I think there'll be more of a push for educator wellness and for educator care. Like we're seeing provinces signing to have higher wages and right away you'll see mental health for educators going up because less of their own money or their own life is gonna have to go back into their programs. So yeah. I'm excited. Definitely. Um, and I want to just kind of um, end this conversation by asking you, because um, I think you've given us so much wonderful information and of uh, uh, your particular center, but I want to ask you, um, or, you know, if you, what do you would like people to know about your program or about the community that you're helping, you know, more particularly about young parents, if you could add, you know, if you could use this, your platform to advocate for your program and for young parents, what would you like the community to know? Um, well, first, I'd, I'd love the community to know that we're here, that we're an active organization that's helping young parents every day. Um, but for young parents in general, I would just really love people to know that they're capable. They are wonderful, amazing parents. Sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I'm so lucky to work with them. 
and see them grow every day. So if people could just let them know they're capable, smile at them on the bus, be nice to them at the doctor's office, little things like that, like just know that these people are parents. They're responsible. They're respected. They're great. And their kids are so great. So that's. Oh my gosh. Sorry. If I could hug you, I would give you the biggest hug. Um, I love my families. Well, I would just like to say that um, I think you're an amazing educator and I think you've earned your wings um, because the work that you do is phenomenal. And just the fact that you love care and respect not only those children, but your parents so much and you're willing, you know, you're out there every single day doing the work that you do and advocating, not just for your children, but for your young parents, um, I think is amazing. And the world needs more educators like you. So thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to share about them. Like I'm, I've always feel lucky to get to talk about them. But well, Thank you so much, uh, Sophie. And again, um, keep doing what you're doing because the world needs more amazing people like you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening in on this week's episode of EC Honestly. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at echonestly at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at echonestly.com.